0: Welcome to the latest episode of Provincial State of Mind with myself Owen Harrison, Jeff Neville and Tom Savage. This is a podcast focused on all four Irish provincial sides in both the URC and European competitions. We discuss what happened the previous week, what we can expect from each province in their upcoming games, as well as any major off-field news. So Tom, how was your week?
1: Pretty good. Made it down to West Cork at the weekend. Uh, Managed not to get myself in too much trouble and uh, got back. So pretty happy.
0: Excellent. Jeff, yourself?
2: Get up yeah. to anything exciting? No, not listening to a bit of Celine Dion, keeping things positive and that's about the highlights.
0: Oh, we're going old school on the tunes this week, are we?
2: Yeah. Do you know when you're just sitting in the kitchen, you go, Okay, Google play whatever. Oh shit, my my, my phone's after starting up there. But uh do you know when you say okay X and off it goes there? Like, but uh yeah, Celine Dion was the first one that came to mind and uh we just went for it, you know. But she's a few bangers that I didn't know about. Like I didn't know it was her. So I think twice I know all, is is
1: pretty good. It's a, it's an underrated yeah. banger.
2: Yeah, it's not bad. And do you know that other one? It's like it, I don't know what it's called, but you know, it's it's all coming back to me now. Oh, one. very good. Yeah, oh, I didn't know that was her. What an absolute yeah. belter of a tune! I've started oh, yeah, also yeah. listening to Garth Brooks,
1: unironically. Oh well, I right can't right go wrong. There's can't some go really wrong. Really you got good the ticket here. sorted. No, but I'm gonna to look to try to hustle some like beforehand. So, I'm I, I'm I'm ambitious.
0: You using the connections you've made through Three Red Kings now to get your Garth Brook tickets? Or just it, how does the debt debt get? De- or how does the game. demographic line up between those? It's playing the long game. That's what it is.
1: <laughs> that's why that, that's why I set it up in the first place. Garth Brook tickets. I knew I
0: knew, knew he'd be back. back. <laughs> OK, well, I think that's enough talk about um, some cheesy tunes there. So we finally have a standalone leader in the Prediction League this week, where I have taken a one-point lead ahead of Jeff and Tom. Jeff's faith in cost custom the lead, as myself and Tom both went with Glasgow, and that proved to be the, the difference. I lead on 15 out of 21 overall, with Jeff and Tom just one behind on 14. And I suppose before we start into the provincial roundup and review, we do have some exciting news uh, of a special Provincial State of Mind podcast competition coming next week and most importantly we have some really unbelievable prizes to give away on next week's pod we will have signed provincial shirts courtesy of the brilliant people at United Rugby where URC equals the best league trademark pending to give away on the podcast so please ensure to follow Provincial State of Mind as well as our own three accounts uh, Three Red Kings Over the Hill Prop and The Loose Head uh, on Twitter for more details and of course listen, review and rate the podcast so some exciting news there guys about the, the merchandise we'll be giving away next week
2: Yeah, and hopefully I'll win one of them but I'll look to stay out of the competition maybe let you win one of them but no nah, I'm going to no it's brilliant Um, you know Adam Redmond there just being good friend of the pod hello Adam I'm sure you're listening but uh, very kind and thanks a million for, for giving us some merch to give away
1: you should enter in as like Neff Jebel
2: yeah, my name backwards. Yeah, something <laughs> like that. Uh, like your man. What is it in, in the Simpsons?
1: Like, hello, my name is Mister Mister Smer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just realised they're listening listening to the tags. That the implication here is that I'm the hooker.
0: Look, I didn't want to bring that up. To be moving honest. moving on, moving on. Yeah. Moving on. <laughs>
1: I've I've got the mental problems anyway. Certainly. What's that in Gavin and Stacey
2: where she's like, do you know? Any something comes up about Ness, like oh, Ness is just in the bathroom or something, she's like, oh, thanks, Stace. <laughs> she just all oh, the implications that like, come
0: up. We've got look, rugby. There was rugby. Owen, take over there, please, will you? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So the what the was rugby we had uh, we had four matches or we have four matches to discuss from that. So I think we'll we'll, we'll kick off with Ulster who are third in the URC table. They're three points behind Edinburgh. They're top of the Irish uh, Shield table at the moment, but have played one more game than Leinster and Munster. Off the field news in Ulster this week is Marcus Ray, Jack McGrath, Craig Gilroy, David Shanahan, Ben Moxham, Jude Posseltwaite and Greg Jones have all signed new contracts. Declan Moore joins on loan again from Munster till the end of the season, and he has signed on a full-time deal for next season as well. So Ulster beat the Scarlets 27-15 at home in the Bank Stadium on Friday night. I thought Ulster closed out the game very strongly in the final, final quarter and looked quite comfortable in that. Tom, what did you make of the game?
1: Uh, just I, I think it was kind of mostly a story of Ulster gradually exerting their dominance uh, over Scarlets. Um, I, I think there was a few controversial decisions. We'll we, we'll talk about that later on. Um but I think on the whole, I think Ulster were, were good enough value for their win. Uh, I, I think they're, and I think we've said this repeatedly now over the course of of, the, of the, these episodes that, that Ulster are building quite well. And, and this was a good example of them with a quite mature performance, even though they were missing a lot of guys who've been key players for them. Um, I thought Scarless did well to keep in touch there for a while. Um, but, you know, looking at the way Ulster, just at the quality, the size, the power you know, to start pulling away. I think it was just a very, just a classy performance. And, uh, you know, I think they end up getting the bonus point win in the end. That was, um, you know, I I think it's a kind of a growing sign of how well they've developed in the last couple of weeks since their kind of last, I'd say, truly disappointing loss, which would have been uh, the Conic game in the Aviva. Uh, I think they've really just kind of gotten into a groove where they're all very comfortable with what they're doing.
0: Yeah, I think that's fair. I think they've, they've got into a situation now where, as you say, since Connaught and possibly the Ospreys' results, that they've really kicked on. They've beaten Leinster and then they've they're within the, the Champions Cup, they've, been, they've won all four of their pool games against Northampton and Claremont. and I think that's got them on a roll. And I think what's been most impressive about that has been that they have been missing the likes of McCluskey and Henderson for a lot of those games. And had to do it do it without those, and the more that they even Cooney as well for for some of those, and if they can add those in, it'll be interesting to see how far they can progress further in the season. But as you you mentioned there, uh, Tom, there there was I suppose one significant issue coming out of the the match itself, and I think that's uh, Craig Gilroy's yellow card for his tackle on on Tom Rogers. Now, um, Craig Gilroy has been cited for that, um. But Jeff, get your views on the on the tackle
2: to start with. Well, I mean, I think without actually knowing your, your views, views at all, boys, I actually think we can agree that it was probably a red card. Um, I, I firmly believe it was a red card offense anyway. Um, it reminded me of the tackle Zebo made there a couple of games back. Now I know that wasn't Zebo's fault. Ultimately it was um wasn't it, Jack Crowley's they deemed and blah, blah, blah. Whatever we know the story there, but you know, from the footage we saw on the night of the match, you know, demon from that, for me, it was pretty much the exact same thing. I mean, for some people, I can understand why they think it's a yellow card or why they believe it's a yellow card, you know, and they deem there to be a wrap so they can apply mitigation with the sudden drop in height. But I don't think it's relevant when the tackle is as reckless as it was. Um, You know, the the lack of wrap, he didn't look like a wrap for me, for me at all, which takes away the mitigation. And... You know, I've spoken to referees about this because I wanted to get their views on it and stuff like that. And I'm, I'm obviously not going to name names because I'm not going to sell them out to drive, but like, um, or hang them out. To, the one. Um, <laughs> no, it wasn't Nigel, but I've spoken to a few because I sent my views first and they said, Yeah, I agree with you fully. So, I mean, I like I looked for vindication on this. I'm not just pulling it out of the hat or anything like that, but like, I mean, the, for me, the, the mitigation doesn't apply because of the tackle that Gilroy put in, it should have been a red card. Um, but also I think you have to look at what decision does the game expect. You know, you talk about making the game safer and player welfare and stuff like that. I mean, you, you see that tackle in real time. I don't like I'm not going to talk about slow motion because one brilliant commentator said over the weekend, everything is slower in slow motion. But um, like when you when you look at the, the tackle in real time, it, it, like it's so it's far too dangerous, and it has to be a red card for me now. I know Gilroy scored then in the last 20 minutes of the game, which was an unbelievable um, closing quarter. Uh, in my eyes, I think it was a brilliant example of how a game should be closed out by a team. But um, I know I know he scored there, but sure, he's still on the pitch. You can only deal with what the ref gives at the time. But for me, it was definitely a red
0: card. I, I would tend to agree. And I think it comes back to a, ver- a very simple thing that you, you talked about there. If Craig Gilroy had gone in and had his arm ready to wrap. First of all, I don't think the, the collision would have been as forceful within that. I think what happened is he tucked his arm down. And so effectively what it ends up with is like a shoulder charge into, into his head. And I, I think that for me, that takes away the mitigation. But it does open up the, the conversation around the high tackle framework. And the referees. And I think referees will always be on some sort of pressure to make sure that the game is not ruined. Now, whether that's sort of a sort of a. Uh, suppose the best way I can try to put this, whether it's a, a sort of a something that's in the forefront of their mind or whether it's a sort of a subconscious bias that that's there. I think there will, there will always be that pressure. On them. And I think you've got to look at it in the way, as you've talked about there, it's direct contact, shoulder straight to the head, and he's not looking to wrap the arm. And I think for for me, that's a straight red. And it was a bad decision by the referee on the night. And I think, I think,
2: I think think just to touch on what you said there, as I like, there is a lot of pressure on refs because of that narrative. But there's too many people willing to look at a ref giving a red card and saying, oh, ref, you've ruined it, rather than looking at the player and saying, well, it's your actions that's led to this situation.
0: And I, I, I was actually going to follow on to that and say exactly that. I think it comes back more to the pundits, to the commentators and even to the fans of their own teams to sort of to look at that and recognise that this is what has to be stamped out of the game. So you've got to expect that if if your team does that, or if you as a player do that, then that's what's going to happen. And you you can't get into a situation whereby you know these things become regular. And it like goes back. Look, we're we're all three sort of monster fans within this, and we we try to be as unbiased as we can. But I mean, like you go back to things like Chris Farrell, and we've we've called that out in the Connacht game over Christmas. That should have been a red card as well. There's to me. You're, you're looking at this and you've got to have the consistency. I think it doesn't look good overall where you have a number of these happening over a, over a, a, a relatively short period where you're seeing these collisions happen, where they should be red cards, where they should be called out on it, and where um, it's not happening. And in some cases, the sightings aren't even getting um, going through correctly. Because you, you look go back and you go back to the case of Zebo and Crowley. Zebo gets off because he was the one who had actually, he was wrapping the arm. He, he, I presume, based on that, he's wrapping the arm. There's a drop in height. He gets away with it. Crowley, was he wrapping? And is that the reason why he, he went there? So I think like the league has to do more. The referees have to stand up. But I think there's also something for the, for the pundits and commentators to, to make sure that they're in line with this as well.
1: I think actually that if you look at the last couple of games, how many times have we seen referees kind of really putting a lot of weight on late height changes and the actions of a a secondary tackler? That seems to be something that they're really putting to the forefront of their mind now when they're assessing uh, high tackle incidents. They They were talking about it like the ref in the Ulster game there was talking about it. Uh, sure, what was it? What was it? Who was refereeing in uh Thoma Park against Ulster? Was it Adamson or somebody else? Um, whoever it was, anyway, he was uh, before the TMO kind of intervened, he was saying, Is there not a height drop there and kind of looking to looking to try to mitigate it down again? Um, oh, the Zeebo tackle that, yes, yeah, like they, that they Adamson, were yeah. about that, too. And there was a few, like like there, there have been a few incidents like this in the games I've been watching where they're really putting a lot of emphasis and giving a lot of weight to late height changes. Again, I don't think they want to be red carding players. And I think they're looking at it. It does seem to be an interpretation that's come in or instructions that have been handed down, not just in the URC, I think all over the game to try and keep guys on the field as much as possible if there is extenuating circumstances and I think they're putting a lot of weight on those height changes, especially late ones, and the actions of a secondary tackler that might mean a what would have been a legal tackle becomes an illegal tackle. But that said, I think uh, Gilroy's tackle was always illegal. <laughs> so it's just is kind of a moot point. Yeah. But yeah, no, it's just one of those things where I think that referees are trying to keep guys, you know, keep it 15 versus 15, if at all
0: possible. Yeah. No, I think that's that's fair. Um, next up, Ulster will play Connacht. It's one of the few games next week. Ulster have only won two of their last five URC games, but went through the Champions Cup pool undefeated. However, they did lose 36-11 to Connacht at the Aviva earlier this season. I think what we'll do, guys, is we'll move on to Connacht next, and then we'll do a preview of the Ulster-Connacht game So Connacht are 8th in the URC table Would have played 2 more games Than the 6 teams just below them They're 4th in the Irish Shield 11 points behind the leaders Ulster uh, In off the field news Dennis Buckley made his return from long term injury At the weekend And it was announced that Josh Murphy Has agreed to join Connacht from Leinster On a 2 year deal so Connacht lost 42-20 against Glasgow at the sports ground on Saturday. Glasgow move up to second in the URC table with that win. Um, Tom, what did you make of the game?
1: Um, I, I watched the vast majority of this game. I was sat in a hotel room and I was watching it. And the big takeaway I took watching the game was, is that Connacht's energy was all over the place. I think Andy Friend has mentioned that afterwards. Um that they so, like, they miss Jack Carty so much. He is such a colossal player for their entire identity on field, the way that they play, the way that they approach the game with Jack Carty there. They're just a different beast. And the uh, just how things just didn't work for them. Like, Like, again, I think Connacht this year have had some nice moments in games. They've played some nice rugby. They just couldn't really get any of that going in this game. And, like, they had guys missing, but... Glasgow had guys missing too. I think it was more of a, a stronger Glasgow selection. I think, relatively speaking, but it was a very, very disappointing loss. And, and this is something I think that has—it's kind of been like we were kind of thinking the same there last week. Owen, that like that, this kind of has been coming. Like where a loss like this has been kind of building for a while. Like Connacht are on a very bad run now at the moment. They think they've lost. They've they've only won two out of seven out of their last seven games and. This is a very tough game for them coming up now at the weekend against Ulster, and like thing there that you just said kind of put a kind of worry into the back of my head there that like you look at they've got two games played more than the guys beneath them, and those South African sides once they start getting teams down to uh, South Africa coming up and in the the second half of the season are going to start putting wins on those teams. And all of a sudden, it could get very, very sticky for Conak next season with regards to even Champions Cup qualification. It can get very difficult, very quick. And I think over the last couple of months, we've kind of, you can kind of sleepwalk your way into that, where you think, "Oh, yeah, that's not a bother." But like, there's tours to South Africa have to happen, yes, and they're going to be very difficult. And you can see those South African teams picking up big wins. And all of a sudden, if you're in a position like Conak at the moment, I think is pretty precarious. They need to start pulling it back around. And like you look at some of their lineup and scrum work there last week or last weekend, just not good enough. And yeah, they're missing guys. They're like they're 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 missing a few front row guys in particular. But to lose a game at home like that in the manner they did, just incredibly disappointing. And it's not really what Connacht have been about this season so far for the most part, even though they have lost
0: quite a lot of games. Yeah, I think like going back to your point there on the on Connacht, I mean, I don't think they had the platform to play. I think you were talking there about their lineup and scrum. I think both of them were around about 60% in terms of efficiency in terms of winning winning their own ball. That's you just can't do that particularly when you're Connacht and when you're you're facing into a team that is generally sort of lacking in the ability to win collisions. You know, and that in itself is a is a tough one and I mean like if you're not going to if you can't win win the collisions with collision clacks in there. um, You know, if you can't win those, you're, you're not going to get over the gain line. If you don't have your line out, you can't use your starter plays. And if you're in trouble at the scrum, as they have been, and they're particularly down, really down the depth chart for their props, then you're going to get into big, big trouble. I think sort of one of the things that I thought was very interesting was Andy Friend's comments both post-game and this week in the press conferences. And I mean, like, he, he went back to that and he, like, I'll, I'll read out some of his comments from after the game. He said, like, there's no excuses. There's a lack of energy, spark. There's a lack of energy and spark. Stupidity of penalties, it's unacceptable. I don't think there are mitigating circumstances. There are other teams who are missing players. It cannot be the excuse if we are looking to grow as a province. And, like, that to me sets it out clearly. He, They they understand where they are, I think, in part of their development and sort of journey as a squad and what he's trying to do. But he's got these guys, and even though they're, a lot of them are relatively young, he expects and has to get better out of them. Um, and then sort of going on to, like, he had a press conference And there, I think, could have been today or yesterday, where he said, like they had a a lengthier team meeting yesterday morning. The players were good; they get it and they own it. Things were presented to them, and conversations were had. And you know, he sees a more energized team. They have to take it out um, and take the game to Ulster at the weekend. So, and he said it's about us turning it around now. But I mean, as as we've said, and I'll put this one to you, Jeff. Connacht now have only won five out of their 13 games this season. Can they actually secure a place in the Champions Cup?
2: Well, I think the first question we need to ask is can they turn it around? And we talked there last week about Connacht's final quarter. Um, you know, Connacht lost against Glasgow 42-20. It was 20-all heading into the final quarter of that game. They conceded 22 points in 20 minutes. So if you're conceding, if you're if you're losing to the clock in terms of points, you're all like you're obviously going to struggle. But can Conock turn it around? I think they like maybe it's my heart talking more than my head, but I absolutely think they can. And I think they have the coach and setup. I think they have like, yeah, maybe not the, the strength and depth that other provinces and, and teams enjoy, but I certainly think that they have the manpower there in order to turn it around. And I was actually thinking about it there earlier today, and you know, in a just I, and just bear with me for a minute, but like I actually compared them to 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 Benetton Treviso there a couple of seasons ago, and Benetton couldn't buy a win in the pro fourteen. and it didn't make them, yeah, they were losing games, like but it, like how do I phrase this? It doesn't make them a terrible team if that makes sense because they came back after they went into that Rainbow Cup and yeah, they you know they, they won it undefeated, like and they absolutely destroyed the Bulls in the final. And I remember listening to Kieran Crowley talk about that afterwards. And he just said, well, like, yeah, we were losing games. We were missing players and they lost their defence coach to Italy, something that not a lot of people know about. But, you know, there were circumstances there. And and I I like the fact that Andy Friend said, we can't use it as a mitigating circumstance because every team is missing fellas, but like they, they can turn it around, you know, and it's not a case of, like we were lauding Connacht there a few weeks ago on, on their wins, but like just because they lost a few bad ones on the bounce, yeah, the last 20 is a problem, but like address that. If they can fix that, it'll go an a long way. Now, you look at the way Ulster managed the last 20 in their last week against the Scarlets, it's a completely, completely different picture. And um, probably one of the best last quarters I've seen of a game from a team in terms of game management in a long, long time. Connacht just need to learn how to do that and we talk about winning by hook or by crook and I honestly mean this everybody talks about Connacht's brilliant you know style of play and Connacht being you know playing with energy and playing with zip and cross feet, whatever it may be like but like I can guarantee you a lot of these players don't care if they win by a point or a hundred winning's winning winning's currency winning buys you time winning buys you you know more positive feedback from fans social media tickets merch you name it winning is currency so can they turn it around? I like I fully believe they can. Maybe, I don't know, maybe there's people out there saying there's Jeff being naive when it comes to Connacht again. I don't know, but I do believe they,
0: they can turn it around. I, I'm i going to go against you on that, but I, w- I want to clarify why I say, I don't think Connacht are going to qualify for the Champions Cup this season. And that may sound harsh, because I do fully agree with you in terms of Andy Friend and the coaching setup and the whole lot that they're doing that they have there. I think they are moving in in the right direction and I think they're doing everything that they can with it. I think it comes down to the very basic fact that they don't have the squad depth and what they're doing in terms of rebuilding the squad. They have such a young squad and are so inexperienced that they can't afford to lose one or two players. So when they when they don't have the likes of a Jack Carthy or a Keen Prendergast, or they were even missing the likes of usheen Dowling, who's become very very important for them, um, you know, in 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 the lineout and set piece in particular, I think I think they they will struggle. I think as Tomlin said, they have to go down to South Africa on a mini tour. I just don't see how they're getting there. I think this kind of team is on a journey, and like you said about Benetton. In, this is not going to be their season. I think this is going to take maybe two, three seasons to get where they want to be, and Andy Friend will hopefully have the time to do that because I think he is an absolute quality coach. But I, I don't think the Connacht are going to be playing Champions Cup rugby next season. They need, they need power, like you know, like
1: that was my big takeaway, like this uh, against Glasgow. Get, get, get that horn ready there. You look at the uh like the quality of their collision work as they were going through the game. It's degrading as they were going. Like again, like I think Andy Friend is a smart coach. He's looked at the guys he has in his squad and he signed some good guys, and we'll talk about that now in a minute. But you look at the um the like the the profile of that conic squad, like they need collision winners, like in top end collision winners. They've got guys who are good, good on good on the ball. Oh, did I say it again? Two, two collisions. Oh, jeez, I did. Yeah, <laughs> sorry, you got a fucking fight there. <laughs> uh, but like, when you look at it, like they've got really good, uh, like guys who are who are decent ball carriers. We're talking about getting guys though who are closer to that elite level, and that's very expensive. It it, it just is. Like you look at the at, at the money that that Leinster when they announced Jason Jenkins on, like he's on decent money there. Like th- that's a big physical player that. That costs money. And like, I think when you look, when I look at Connacht playing, they, because of the guys they have available, and, and Andy Friend has developed a system that they tend to kick quite a bit. When they do kick, they kick long, they play on transition a lot, and they're good in in that environment. But I think it also means that they struggle to play with simplicity at times. And you look at some of their Maldi, which has been up and down this year, like where it's be, it's be, it was good, good against Munster in that game um, uh, up in the sports ground, but it's been, it's fluctuated in the others. Um, and you look at the, like j- just in general, like their, 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 their scrummaging work, I think needs a, a, a bit of an injection of, of size and power as well. I think if I look at Connacht, I think that that's where the focus needs to be on them now, where it needs to be bringing in guys in the tight five uh, guys who can help beef them up. Because I think that's the one area where everything just looks like it has to be so complex for things to work with Connacht. And when it works, it's brilliant but I think that that is a large part of why results have been so up and down for them this season.
0: Yeah, and I think you're right there. I think that's what they need to bring. I I think they are addressing that, but as you said, they don't financially have the powers to address it immediately. And I think what they're doing is looking at it long-term. I think if you look at what they've done with their academy intake, and the signings of the likes of Bolton and a couple of others, even power players. I know he's, in, he's sort of in the backs, but like you look at what they've done, the amount of props that they've signed into the academy. I think they're, they're doing something long-term for that, and that's why I think this is a longer-term sort of project for them. Uh, next up for Connacht is that match against Ulster away on Friday night. Um, they've won three of their last... I think it's five URC games, but they have only won one of their Champion Cups games. And their last, as we talked about, their last 20 minutes is really impacting them. Um, So I suppose if we look at the game and we start with that on Friday night, Jeff, how do you think that game will go?
2: Oh, I'm going to sound like such a hypocrite because I'm saying Connacht can get out of it. But I was always going to say that Ulster were going to win this game um, because of that last quarter and the way that Ulster have turned the corner there this year and they're just grinding out games doesn't matter the opposition you know they're just finding a way to win it i think that's going to be the biggest difference that last 20 minutes where they just kind of look at the game and say right what do we need to do and where do we need to do it and uh kind of just don't have like they just haven't shown that they're able to match teams in the last quarter of the game so based on that um literally just based on the last 20 minutes of the last two games i'm 100% going with Ulster and you know, I went for Connacht the last number of times and it's bit me. I'm going for Ulster now. This is the way of the world, isn't it? So, um, I guarantee Connacht will turn around and whip out the best final quarter that we've ever seen from a provincial team. Um, and people will say, Jesus, Jeff, you got that wrong. And i would be like, Yeah, I did, it's fine, but no, I'm going for Ulster. <laughs>
0: I am going to join you for Ulster, but I think there are a couple of things that could come into it. I think one of them could be if there are any players released back from the Six Nations squad. I don't know whether that's going to happen, but you, if Connacht could get back, maybe the likes of a Keen Prendergast or even a Jack Carty if he's not in, if he's not involved or whatever. Although I suppose he's more likely to hang around as being the sort of twenty fourth, twenty fifth man, or even Finley Bialum around that. If they were able to get a couple of those players back I think it would give them a better chance but saying that I really do think it's Ulster, it's at home the Inter pros have tended to go with the home team even just a general rule within the URC this this uh, season I I think Ulster are on a run here They've, they're down players but they're still performing, they're still getting that win and I think they'll just have too much for Connacht uh, on Friday night Tom, are you going to differ from us or are you going to join us in in the Ulster win?
1: I'm going to go with the flow here. I Find the crowd. Say, say, do, do the popular thing. <laughs> uh, I think Ulster are going that's going to win what, that that's, what, that's, that's, what peer, that's what peer pressure is for, just to give in to. <laughs> just say no to pressure when it comes to saying Ulster will beat Connacht. Uh, but they will, I think. Um, I look at the last week. You look at the size that Ulster were able to roll off that bench. Big, beefy men slinging heft. Look at that, Milicinovic. Size of that guy, like a huge man, colossal. And you look at the, the the power that they're able to keep going for the full 80 minutes. I really look at the, I think Ulster are playing very well right now. I think Connacht, as you were saying there, Jeff, like winning is currency. And at the moment, they're under a lot of pressure, like internally, like externally to an extent. And coming into a game like this, like they're chasing a performance, and that's that can sometimes it can sometimes be a good place to be, but like for the most part, like you'd prefer to be where Ulster are. Good vibes, a lot of good wins, uh, and that kind of confidence in the squad. Connacht always tend to show up for interpros though, like they tend to always up their performance levels by a good few bits. But uh, I just think Ulster are in too good a place right now, and I think with Dwayne Vermeulen what he's brought to them has been like quality, like, you know, as an actual player has been quality. But there seems to be a bit of steel about him where there's not as much of a of a fluctuation in performance that Ulster would have had prior to his arrival um, and him settling in. I, I think that Ulster are in a way better place at the moment. And I think that they'll beat Connacht and I'd say they could do it fairly comfortably as
0: well. Okay, so that's uh, three for Ulster for next Friday night. Now we're moving on to Munster. So we're not only do we have the collision klaxon, we'll in, introduce the uh, the we and us klaxon as well on this. So I'll uh, try and keep that to hand. Munster are fifth in the URC table. They're five points behind Edinburgh, but they do have a game in hand. They're third in the Irish Shield, but they're only two points behind Ulster with a game in hand. Off-field news, uh, we'll start Declan Moore, as we've talked about, is joining Ulster on loan and will join them permanently from next season. Tom O'Hearn and Liam O'Connor picked up injuries at the weekend. But thankfully, uh, Munster Rugby continued their, their long-running streak at the moment of releasing news late on a Wednesday afternoon to give us the uh, something to talk about here, which is that Malachi Fekitoa will join on a two-year deal from next season. And we'll get into that in a bit more detail shortly. Um, Munster beat Zebra 34-17 in Italy on Saturday. There was lots of changes to the starting 15, and it ended up in being a bit of a disjointed game. I thought uh, some, some of the, the positives, I thought, throughout that. Number one, I thought John Hodnett was, was very impressive. I thought um, everything he, he did, and he touched in so many ways, his work rate, his tackling, his heavy carrying, um, he was used as a line out operator, as a distributor. He was Jackling. He he was doing pretty much everything on that. And he's really stepped up since he's come back from his injury and really pushing for a, a starting position in the, in the, the sort of the first 15. And the other interesting one I thought was Chris Farrell, when he came on, looked very good in that sort of 12 role. They, they moved him inside to 12 and he was very effective from that. Jeff, what did you make of the game?
2: Yeah, I enjoyed it to be honest with you. And, um, I think I turned off the commentary on the game after about eight minutes when someone, I don't know who was co-commentating, but someone was like, oh, this is a very disjoint performance for Munster. I was like, it's eight minutes into the game. Look at the number of changes they have to the team. I'm not listening to this, so I just muted it straight away. But I don't think it was ever going to be, I can, it wasn't, it was never going to be a flash game where you had team running in 10 tries. And I know it was against Zebra, who aren't exactly going great guns at the moment, but it was about getting guys time Getting how they, getting to see how they're gelling into the framework, getting to see what they can do, getting the minutes under the belt. Um, like it was always going to be disjointed, hundred percent. Like it absolutely was, and um, but I I, I totally enjoyed it. I like it was. Um, there was a couple of great tries scored, and Dag Goggin's line for that try that he scored was absolutely unbelievable. Um, I must have. I don't know how many times I watched that back. And then there was the tryout wide the last pass from Liam Coombs, just a little out and in to give the pass, set it away. I mean, you've guys there you now that aren't actually playing all that much rugby, but they're still performing like that. And, you know, they're doing the basics really well, like squaring a hit before giving that pass, you know, so it's quality to see. Um, In terms of disjointed, no, like I'm not buying it, to be honest with you. Um, I felt they were very, very good. And like you, John Hadnett, I mean, every time I watch him, I'm just falling in love more and more and more. And it kind of reminds me a bit of when kind of maybe about four or five years ago um, watching Nick Timoney and everything he did in terms of his role, like basics, when he's on the ball, when he's off the ball, like everything he's doing is just technically perfect. A bit like Caelan Doris, I suppose. And I know that's a big um, comparison at the moment between John Hodnett and Caelan Doris, but I'm just talking about the fact that you'll never really, you'll never actually see Caelan Doris make an error. Like he's just so good at the basics. It's incredible. Mm And it's the same with John Hadnett. Um, I just like I sorry, John Hadnett, I I don't know how you pronounce it in, in Cork or around the place in Limerick, we'd say John Hadnett and we'd leave it at that. But like I, I just think the way he's performing lately, like he's getting minutes, and what he's doing with those minutes is absolutely brilliant. Um, you know, and we and we talked there about the Leinster game, and I know we'll get to it, but we talked about it last week, and you, you're seeing fellas getting minutes that they don't that they're not getting this season. Um, and that they have to, have to make the most of them. That's what, exactly what John Hodnett's doing. It's very quickly, like the Lewishead's very quickly turning into a John Hodnett fan club, and all's welcome. It's okay. Come on board. Like there's plenty of room. Um, and I felt as well that, you know, a, a alongside that performance, you know, seeing all the, the rest of the young guys coming on, but seeing Alex Kendallin come on, he's another guy that we talked about an awful lot in this pod before. Um, had a great game absolutely brilliant when he came on um, Hearn was brilliant when he came on uh, Chris Farrell again just the way he guided the game when he came on I felt Jake Flannery was very good at 10 um, For like you actually mentioned him last week Bowen. you said um, you hoped he was getting game time because of you know previous instances that happened in the season but like he came on he did brilliant and uh, yeah you can talk about disjointed all you want but it's going to be it's 100% going to be but like still a good win bonus point win away from home I I thoroughly the game now must say, and I didn't and I didn't get the in once. I'd like to
0: point out there. That. That, that that will be noted for future reference. One of the things you did mention there, I thought it was um, very um, poignant, was the Dan Goggin try where I think he came back onto the 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 line and looked at the space behind the lineout, yeah. and I think it's it's something that Munster actually targeted. I think it was John Hodnett had a great break. Um, in off a line out again where we're around midfield where he was able to attack that space in behind. He was able to take a pass and then just do a little sidestep and straight back in and make the breakdown by the by the yeah, touchline.
2: I, I think it was something I think it was a bit of homework probably done by Munster now in the week building up to the game that they probably saw like they probably saw that zebra offset piece like off line out probably just fold very quickly and their space in behind and to be honest with you, Dan Goggins try. Yeah. Like it was brilliant. And it was a great line by Dan and everything like that. But I imagine there was probably a couple of analysts up in the stand watching that with a smile on their face, thinking that's the homework we did during the week, no paying off, you know? So it's never, it's never just a, uh, you know, like a set piece doesn't just work because it's a nice looking set piece. There's homework gone into that too, you know? So, um, overall, no, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, you know, I felt, uh, sure, look, I've, I've said it, I've said it already, like I felt everybody did very well in a, in a, you know, it can be, it can be tough to have different halfback combinations, um, like different front row, like everything, everything. And even the 10 is connecting to a different 12, to a different nine, to a different eight, the whole way across. I, I just felt it was a very, people say disjointed game, but I felt they did very well considering the number of changes.
0: Yeah, and look, I, I think that that's fair enough. It you you're not going to get a perfect performance with that that many changes into the starting fifteen, and then even during the game itself, as um, as you say, look, I'm I'm a Jake Flannery fan. I thought he did quite well when he came on. He, he quite happy he showed some really nice touches at times there. Tom, what what did you take from the game itself?
1: Well, my beloved monster. Um... <laughs> <laughs> um, I, yeah, look, it, it was definitely like janky, disjointed, a lot of new combinations, a lot of guys coming in, hadn't played rugby for a long time. Uh, Experience wise, if you look at the number of test caps that Munster had on the field was 25 in total. You look at uh, Connacht had something like 84, uh, Leinster had 200 and something, Ulster had a good, good amount as well. Uh, and like 10 of those 25 caps test caps belong to Chris Farrell. So, like, you look at the guys that, that Munster had out there a couple of experienced guys who played a lot of games from Munster as well. Don't get me wrong, but you look at the young fellas who were there, the young, new combinations, uh, new halfback combination. Jake Dick Fenry's first start, I think, certainly this season at 10. He was playing for Shannon last week. Like, you look at these guys coming in, and and like it, it, it was. Not a, a great performance, I wouldn't say, but it was a, a lot of good moments, some nicely taken tries, and they, they, large parts of the game kind of swung back and forward. There was a lot of mistakes, you know, there was a lot of handling errors, and like Jake Flannery is out there trying to play, uh, and again, like you look at some of the passes, didn't go to hand, a few errors, a few lines not run, but that's the kind of stuff that you'd expect for young fellas coming and getting minutes. Like you look at at the the team they put out like Matt Gallagher, first game in a long time. Uh, Liam Coombs, first game for at, at Munsters for, God, a number of months. Dan Goggins, first appearance of the season, I think. Um, Calvin Nash, back from injury. Shane Daly, again, he's been in and out of the team. Neil Cronin's been in and out of the team. He hasn't featured for a long time as well. Like, that's the kind of stuff that leads to little bitty moments in the game, but you take the win. Like, once you're looking at that, and, like, they'll be happy enough with that that first try that they scored was really nicely taken. Jack Crowley, I felt, did very well with his kind of 10-minute uh, uh, interlude he had in, in both halves. Uh, John Hodden, I thought, was superb. Jake Flannery will learn from this game. Like, this will be a very valuable game for him in the long term. And I think that Dermot Barron showed well. Uh, like, it's the kind of game that a lot of these young lads need to build minutes and to build experience and to, to build up their profile as players. And again, like you, you can say that like, there was a lot of mistakes and turnovers and Zebra, I thought, played relatively well. But again, I just think that um, that'll be a very valuable game for Munster. And look, at the end of the day, like they got their bonus point win, which is, like that's the main thing coming out of this game. Like If they'd come away with just a regular guard and win, that would have been a failure. But to get the win, uh, to do the business that way, I thought was just very good and, and exactly what they needed to do. And it's not a game that people will think about too much come the end of the season but it'll be valuable all the same. Those five, like that five points was exactly what Munster needed in the moment and they backed the young fellas to go and get it and they did.
0: Yeah. And I, I suppose we'll switch over now to the, the sort of the the announcement this afternoon of uh, Fekatoa on a two-year deal and I suppose it does it's, there's a couple of things. It's great news to see a player of that quality coming in, but I suppose it also points to Damien Delande leaving, which I suppose won't come as a, a major surprise to anyone. But what can Fekatoa bring to, to Munster? Tom, I'll I'll start with you on that.
1: Uh, one. I think Fekatoa, you look at I think 85% of his starts in his career have been at outside center. Um and you look he he can certainly play 12 as well. He can play a winger too. Like the question is has he been signed to play at outside center uh, and if so does that mean that chris farrell will be moving to a kind of an inside center style role uh, a little bit more permanently um we'll have to wait and see but what we know about Malachi Fekatoa is is that he has a few injury issues he hasn't featured much for wasps this e- or this season but i look if at somehow managed to still work it in huh i thought i was done with that with that name but apparently here we are back again um I think that Fekatoa uh, is the exact type of guy you'd sign if you were looking to play a more on-ball, possession-based attacking game. Uh, he is not as complete a player as Damien Delende. Damien Delende is, like, his all-around game, I think is probably one of the best, well, is one of the best midfielders in the game. Malachi Fekatoa is a more offensively based player. I think, and I think we spoke about it on this podcast a, a number of times, uh, that that monster. If you're looking at the type of player profile that they will be looking to get in, it's a power winger for me. It's something that they've been needing for some time, and uh, they need beefing up in the front row. And I, I think they're not fully done with the business there either. Um, but you look at what Malachi Fekatoa can bring you, and it's power, pace, uh, his kind of his offloading ability, his short and mid-range game from a passing perspective is outstanding. Uh, he is a guy who you can imagine linking up with the likes of a Simon Zebo, how good he could be in that regard. But again, we spoke recently enough about Munster's work on transition, about how it hasn't been great this season, how it's been middling, we'll say, and how it's kind of it's it's shown itself more against teams who kick to Munster quite a bit. Uh, I think Malachi Fekatoa from next season, especially if he's played in that kind of outside centre. Again, because a lot of outside centres these days, they can look a lot like wingers. To, to, to in the way that they're used I think that him in that Munster backfield or close to it can be an incredibly dangerous player that can really beef up what Munster want to do on transition and I think that's something that uh, when you look at him being brought in uh, it bodes quite well for what I think Munster will be looking to do from an offensive perspective from next season now it just needs an attacking coach to bring it all together yeah.
0: Jeff do you have any thoughts on Fekito joining?
2: Um, brilliant signing like um, absolutely brilliant signing and I remember talking to Ian Costello there a couple of years ago back when he was still over at Wasps and he was full of praise for him he was full of praise for the work he put into his defensive setup to make sure that he was getting like into the system and making sure that he was kind of tuned in that bit more and it, it, like it all came to fruition. Like I don't, I don't know if you remember, but it was a Wasps game a couple of, about two seasons ago, and Fekitoa was set. You can see he set ready on the line, gets up, textbook tackle, and absolutely melts the ball carrier. And it was a result of just what Ian Costello was talking about. So I mean, if Munster think, or if Munster fans think that they've signed a player that thinks he's the full package and you know is ready to go. Like Fekatoa, from what I took from talking to Ian Coslow is a very good player, but one that's constantly working on his own game and constantly looking to get better. So I'm very excited by it, to be honest with you.
0: Yeah, and I, I think I join you in that in, in terms of I think he's he's proven quality. As Tom mentioned, he maybe has some injury. Uh, history there that that may cause some concern but look, when when he is fit and when he is playing, he's top quality and as you said, Ian Costello is there would know him inside out, and would would be able to give such a a valuable insight into that for them, so I I think he'd be a major addition to to Munster next season. Next up for Munster they have no game this week but uh, they're away to Glasgow the following week So that brings us to Leinster, who are fourth in the URC table. They're four points behind Edinburgh with a game in hand. They're second now in the Irish Shield, one point behind Ulster with a game in hand. Off field news is Josh Murphy, as we have said, is joining Connacht at the end of the season on a two-year deal. And Will Connors, unfortunately, picked up another injury and is expected to be out for a few weeks. Um, The game at the weekend, then, with Cardiff, Leinster lost 29-27 with the last kick of the game, deciding the results. Or if you're part of Welsh Twitter, it was the tunnel, which was the big talking point. Um, I think it was a a, a very... uh, (laughs) Interesting game from a Leinster point of view. I think that, you know, they they had some good periods within it, but there was, there was also quite a few things that the coaches uh, won't have been too happy with. So, Jeff, what did, what did you make of the game and, and how, how Leinster approached it? Um, I
2: thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed the game. I thought, like I said last week, I thought it could have been the game of the weekend and I think it lived up to that billing. I mean, a kick to win it at the death from that far out after what was an exciting game um, it was just absolutely excellent and my wife's family big Leinster fans and they're away at the moment and I was on the phone to them there just after the game and they said how did it go last night and I said listen I'm not saying this because Leinster lost but it was an absolutely phenomenal game like um, I thoroughly enjoyed it I felt the way Cardiff dealt with Leinster's pressure um, when defending was fantastic and it kind of took them a little while to get it but um, Leinster were quite frantic in their defense, like they were just rushing, um, just absolutely rushing the ball carrier and just kind of swarming him. I suppose is probably the best adjective or verb I could put on it. Probably a verb is the word I was looking for, but like just they the, the really swarmed the ball carrier, made it hard for him to kind of get the ball away any sort of offload. Um, happy to kind of stay in their feet and defense, not commit to too many rucks, and just continue that kind of that line speed and that frantic kind of. We're just going to surround you, smothering defence. I felt it was very, very good from Leinster, but suddenly Cardiff then they just put a little chip in and an absolutely fantastic finish by their winger, just absolute pace to burn. Um, just kind of showed like, well, you can you can you can shoot up on us all you want, but we're going to find the space eventually and we're going to punish you for it. And that kind of I felt was the was the catalyst for the game. I felt it really kicked off after that try, and we saw we saw a couple of more scores. Um, i don't think that leinster were probably as physical as they needed to be in order to put the game to bed um you know you know like we talk about rugby and we talk about different frameworks and attack and defense and everything like that at the end of the day a lot of it's quite simple like if you win your um engagements when carrying ah. the ball yeah no way. no I mean, you're getting, you're,
0: getting, you're getting the claxon for that
2: oh go away i cover that very well but if you win, if you win those situations, um, if you win sixty percent of them, you'd probably win the game. And I felt they just didn't do that, and um, they allowed Cardiff into the game then, and allowed Cardiff that bit of time to to play their own way after that try, um, and then after that, you know, a couple of mistakes here and there, which is again going to happen. We talked about the, we talked about Munster being disjointed, and because of the number of changes they're coming in, like Munster had the exact same, Cardiff maybe had a few fewer um because maybe not as many were called up to the national team. But um I felt Cardiff were just you know, I think I think they could have um banked on that kind of experience they had as well during the, the Champions Cup when they were short players against the likes of Toulouse and just going all out for it. Um that kind of nothing to lose attitude let's just go out and play and enjoy ourselves and back ourselves. I felt they were excellent. Um probably for me the game of the weekend to be honest with you.
0: Yeah I I thought there was there was, there was a couple of things that I thought were very interesting in it myself. I thought number one was how Cardiff really attacked the Leinster scrum and, and got a good bit of change out of it. I thought that, um, I don't know how legal it was. I didn't think the camera angles were, were that great at, at times, but I, I thought Alatoa had a, a tough day at the office um, in the in scrum. And that may be a worry going forward for Leinster. Um, is there depth below the likes of Porter? And Furlong. So once they go beyond that, you know, um, how how is that going to impact the rest of their season? I think then I was very impressed with how Cardiff kicked tactically towards Leinster. I thought they used an awful lot of grubbers just in behind the Leinster defence as it rushed up. And it really kept the Leinster defence um, sort of, I suppose, in two minds. And, and as a, as a, an attacker, that's what you want. You want the defenders guessing you want to create that sort of split second of hesitancy there that, that gives you the opening. And I thought Cardiff were then able to use their their attack and were able to use the pace and, and wingers particularly and, and back three players to to sort of to exploit the space and the the gaps that they were creating. And Tom, I'll come to you on this like, I think is there a template that you can beat? Leinster with in terms of how you go about it because and I'll, I'll sort of put that in some context now because I look back at the way Munster have approached Leinster in the past and what they have done is they've shut them down they've done a lot of box kicking and exploited the wingers they've tried to physically sort of take them on and I think particularly at the breakdown they've really gone after the breakdown and, I, and one of the things that I would see is that if you stand off Leinster and you give them quick ball, they will kill you. But if you can get in and mess up that ball and slow it down or start winning turnovers, that's where you can really sort of impact their ability to sort of to ratchet up the pressure. So I suppose I'll I'll ask you the question and put it maybe into two parts. Is there a template that you can beat beat Leinster with and can you do it when they have a full team?
1: Uh, the first part of the question, um, I will answer like this, in that I think Munster, um, I think maybe three seasons ago, understood intellectually how to beat Leinster, which is what Munster chose to do in those kind of games that ended up being quite tight, was kick extensively to Leinster's back three, challenge them in the air, challenge the receipt of the ball, and then Pressured the, the reset rucks afterwards and then let Leinster kick the ball back to you then or go into their exit strategy if that's what they're going to do or else have them burn phases in their own half of the field where uh, eventually you you, you can get their top guys off the field, guys come on then that maybe aren't of the same level and look to try to run your luck that way. Munster weren't able to win those games because I think ultimately Munster didn't have the, the size and power that they needed to hurt Leinster in that regard. Saracens did. If we go back to that lockdown season in 2020, Saracens approached the quarterfinal in the Aviva League almost the exact same way that Munster did, but Saracens had the size and power to take advantage. If you look at what Cardiff did on Saturday, it was elements of the same thing, not approached in the same way, but the uh, tactical kicking that uh, you saw from uh, Jared Evans, I think it was, um, operated on kind of the same principle even if they didn't get those grubbers back, when Leinster recovered the ball, it was in a kind of a, they were in a defensive transition still. And that put a lot of pressure on Leinster's halfbacks. And when Leinster are without Jonathan Sexton, and to an extent, Jamison Gibson Park, but mainly Jonathan Sexton, they are an easier team to play and they are an easier team to manipulate, especially with your kicking game. I think that's, when I look at that game on Saturday, that was one of my big takeaways question is can you do it against Leinster with their full team and to an extent yeah you can but it's harder because they have better collision winners they have better defenders they have uh, in Jonathan Sexton one of the great fly halves of the modern era and that plays a part and that, that makes it that little bit more difficult so while you can intellectually understand what it is that they are vulnerable in they'll also have James Lowe who adds an awful lot to them as well, to their relief-kicking game in turn. Um, I think that teams, if you're a team like Leinster, everybody is analysing you. Everybody is looking to try to to, to to pull you apart. And I think that the longer they remain one of the, one of the premier teams in Europe, the more teams will look for bits and pieces that, that, that can hurt Leinster when it comes to a big game. And I think Cardiff in this one showed something that can work against what we call prime Leinster, as opposed to the guys here who, while are still good players, are not at the level of a porter, furlong, Doris, and so on and so forth.
0: Okay, so next up for Leinster, they have no game this week, and they have Edinburgh then at home the following week. So that rounds up the provincial activity for the week. Um, but we do have the Six Nations kicking off this week. So it starts with Ireland versus Wales. So I'll start maybe with you on this, Jeff. Do you see many changes to the Ireland team from the Autumn Internationals for that Welsh game?
2: No, I don't think so. I think Andy Farrell has the spine of his team and he is going to use that's fine until it doesn't work anymore, to be honest with you. And I don't know why he wouldn't. It, they, they performed very well in the autumn games. Don't get me wrong. Me personally, I'd like to see fellas getting a run, obviously. Um, I think if you included the likes of James Hume in there, get him in. Like I've, I'd absolutely love to see him. Before anybody says, oh, sure, Ringrose class. I know Ringrose's class, and I'm not saying he isn't, and I'm not saying drop anyone. I'm just saying if I saw James Hume in there, I'd have absolutely no issue with it. I think the man... Is just waiting for the chance to prove he is world class. Um, so, but but I don't I don't I don't I think at the end of the day we said it already. Winning is currency, and with this Irish team, I think what we are going to see, what I'd like to see, is getting into that winning habit. You know, they're heading to New Zealand in the summer for a three test tour. I'd like to see them winning before that, making sure that they know how to do it, how to edge out teams like France and England away. And then going to New Zealand and trying to edge out a win over there as well and say they can they can do it in New Zealand as well as at home. So I think it'll be a case of continuing with the with the spine of a team. Uh, yeah, you'll see fellas come and go with knocks and you know people getting a chance and stuff, but for the vast majority, like, like you're not going to see what we saw with Munster against Eberet, you know what I mean, or with Leinster against um Cardiff. You're going to see the spine of a team that finished up in the autumns. I think if given the chance. And I do think he will get that chance because of Lowe's injury. I think Mack Hansen could probably create something very special for Ireland around the pitch. He has the fitness levels to do it and the skill set and the engine. So I do think that he will probably get an opportunity, you know, one door closes and another opens. I think I think um, he will get that chance. But, but what I'd also like to see from Ireland is, like we've seen an unbelievable attack and framework from them in the autumn, but I'd like to see, the depth coming from the bench that allows them to continue with that style of play and in that framework. So I mean, you you look at the the we talked about it before the front rows, the starting front rows in that in those three games passed 35 times. and um, the replacement front rows across those three games only passed eight, and five of them were Tom O'Toole in the last game. So I mean, if if you I think I do believe if you're playing a certain way to get you ahead and to get you in front, that you don't retreat into your shell and you continue to play in that manner. So I think it's just a case of Ireland finding depth now that allows them to continue to play in that manner while emptying the bench, if that makes sense. But in regards to team selection, I think we'd probably see a large spine of the team that we saw finish the the autumn internationals.
0: And maybe to, to you, Tom. Then I think there's there's maybe two spots in the the starting fifteen that are maybe up for grabs if if we take that there's going to be some consistency from the Autumn Internationals. And I think you're maybe looking at the second row where you've got the likes of Ryan, Byrne and Henderson. Should they all be fit? And then I think, uh, as sort of Jeff has touched on there, James Lowe is out injured. So how do you get that playmaker into the back line? In terms of those sort of two positions, how do you think Andy Farrell will try and line it up for the Welsh game?
1: Well, I I don't think that James Lowe or James Lowe is directly replaceable. With a like-for-like player who gives you exactly what James Lowe does because he is a playmaker. He can kick well, uh, but he's he's a really powerful player as well. Like his, his his ball carrying ability and collision winning is really really good. Um, you look at uh, wait, wait did I miss this? Oh, no, I I said collision again. Um, okay. you- <laughs> this one's free, I just realized okay. that one's free. Okay. Um, I think uh Mac Hansen gives you a lot of the same stuff. Not necessarily the collision winning but he's very elusive, very evasive. He's a guy who gives you a lot of, um, a lot, a lot of James Lowell like qualities. I feel, um, I think he could feature, I wouldn't be surprised to see him making a run for that team. Um, I look at, um, the second row. I think a lot of it depends on fitness. I think you look at Ireland over the last number of years, anytime they, they can go with, uh, Henderson and Ryan, they do. Um, I think Burn has been playing better than both of them, but it's a little bit more complex in how you're playing for your province. Um, and I think that's going to be a big question coming into this week. I think Ian Henderson's fitness and availability might swing it, uh, but I think in that, uh, in, in that second row, it's a bit like midfield where there are three really, really good options there uh, and you don't really lose a whole lot by, by swapping one and out, one, one out for the other um but like jeff was alluding to there i think uh the big question for me is like this is going to be ireland's biggest physical challenge i feel since the last six nations i think you look at ireland's games since over the summer and even in november were below the level of physicality that we'll see in this year's six nations i think new zealand are on a bit of a downswing at the moment at the end of a long old season um I'm not sure we saw the best in New Zealand. I wouldn't. Get, I'm not getting too carried away about beating the All Blacks last last November, um, or well, it was a couple of months ago now. Um, I think that the physical challenges in this year's tournament are going to be a big challenge for this Irish side because remember we look at last year's Six Nations and bar that win against uh, England at the end, that was a average enough all tournament up until that point. So that's my big takeaway here is like how do Ireland. How can how, how do they play in an environment where they've only got parity in the physical exchanges, or maybe less in against England and France? That'll be the big challenge for me.
0: I I think going back to uh, Jeff made a very interesting point there when he was talking previously about the sort of the bench and how they need to develop the style of play that they're starting with with the replacements, and I suppose that makes the Um, the the replacements and who they pick on that nearly more important than the starting fifteen, and I think it comes onto that. And I think there's there's a couple of positions there. I think you talked about a prop. I think Keen Healy was one. Like you talked about the passing rates. I think Keen Healy had like one pass in the Six Nations last year, and he had one pass in the or maybe none. I can't remember in the Autumn Internationals when he came out as a sub. Yeah, he had none. None. So that's one one pass in in an Irish jersey all all season, um, and you you need players to step up and continue that stud because you're not going to have a full fully fit starting fifteen that you can rely on the whole way. I think there's also, I think as we talked about, Byrne is he is he a, is he a lock at international level? Is he a six? Maybe he's he's the the prime sort of bench candidate for that. But do Ireland need to develop a power second row? I think you've got the out half in terms of Carty and Carberry, who's going to take over there? What are they going to go with? So, I mean, maybe I'll I'll start off with yourself, Jeff, and say, who do you think should be there on the bench and what do you think they need to get out of that? I am gonna go with one
2: now, maybe out of left field, and some people listening may think I'm mad, but I I don't think so at all. I think Kieran Treadwell could have an excellent tournament if selected. Um, he is being he has been very, very good for Ulster and he sets a very good platform. And we were talking there about the you know Ian, Ian Henderson's physicality and what he brings to the team. Kieran Treadwell does an awful lot for Ulster, which allows others to play their own game and just helps create that platform for the likes of for, well, for the likes of Timoney, and Doak or Cooney or Burns or whoever is running off the ball, he creates that very good platform. So I think, yeah, if we see, I, I mean, it's very hard to say that you won't see James Ryan play for Ireland. I think at the moment, regardless of how you actually feel personally towards who's going to start in the second row, it's almost taboo. It's almost, you, you almost feel like you can say James Ryan isn't going to start in the second row. Um, for fear of either backlash or for fear of someone saying, "Do you know what you're on about at all?" But I do think, like I know, two doesn't go into or three doesn't go into two. But in, if you include that spot in the bench, I think that Kieran Treadwell could be a great shout. Um, he's a good lineout operator, which is huge at at the highest level. I mean, if you don't have a set piece, you're not going to win the game. It's it's as simple as that. Um, and he he's a big physical power guy who can set a platform. For everybody else to make the ball decisions and just tip on passes or you know whatever decisions need to be made while on ball and freeing up a lot of a lot of space for them to do their own thing, there was probably misconceptions uh, of Treadwell or maybe preconceptions that were incorrect through maybe false narratives of other people or the media or whatever it is. But he's a he's a great player and he's done very well for Ulster so far this season. Um, and I think the beauty is as well as that we're, we're kind of with Ireland we're seeing a team that but it's, it is being picked on form and if you look at James Lowe I mean at the end of the Six Nations like coming into the Autumn Internationals a lot of people didn't give James Lowe probably a lot of um, a lot of credit and he came in he was probably one of the best players that Ireland had do you know and, and Farrell saw what he could do and what he could provide and he picked him off the back of that so I think you know, I, I, I do think saying Treadwell could have a brilliant tournament. It's not something, it's not impossible.
0: And Tom, then for the for the out half, do you think Jack Carty has a chance of making the bench?
1: Depends on Carberry's fitness, I think. Um, that sounds glib. But I think Ireland are very much in the, the Joey Carberry business. You know, you look at succession plans and I think that if all other things are equal, I think they will go with Sexton and Carberry. Um, and that's not a value judgment on Jack Carty, who I think has played very well. But I think he is in that kind of third guy spot at the moment that Billy Burns has had previously, that uh, Ross Byrne has been in previously, that uh, a couple of other guys have been in over the years. And I, I think if you look at what the IRFU's plans are, we can know what they are for sure. But I think Joy Carberry is a large part of those plans, especially heading into 2023. Like Sexton is still the best guy there for that jersey right now, a superb player. I was saying there the other day in my own podcast about how I'd rate him in kind of the same approximate conversation as Dan Carter. Like I think Dan Carter was the better player, better athlete for sure. But you look at Jonathan Sexton, what he's done over his career, astounding. Like his, his impact on Ireland and Leinster has been profound. And I think that, like, replacing him, which is going to happen in the next couple of years, I'm sure. Like, you would look at the guy who has been in the box seat for that for a number of seasons, and it's Joey Carberry, but he's been injured. I think if he's fit now, that's a, 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 like something where, like, if he's fit and available, I can't see the IRFU or Andy Farrell even, just forget about the IRFU, even Andy Farrell, getting him back in there to get those minutes into him and look to try to develop him that way. That's the, like, that, that's the biggest thing for Ireland, I think, is the like using Sexton to the best of his ability now, but building to a stage where, what if he's not available at the World Cup, which is a, a live possibility. And I think that uh, Joey Carberry is the next guy that they have identified for that. And it, and while Jack Carty is a great player, I think that that will be his role here, which will be, he will be the guy on the bench if, uh, Joey Carberry isn't fit uh, or Joey Carberry isn't
0: available Yeah and I think one of the other things that they need to figure out in this Six Nations and before they go to New Zealand is they need to find out who the number two is to uh, Hugo Keenan I think um, I think we, we know it's Mike Larry but I think Larry has to start at least one of the games within this because I don't feel he can necessarily offer enough off the bench to cover positions to allow him to get onto the bench as that sort of outside back specialist cover. I think he he covers 15. I don't, even though he does and has played 10 for Ulster, I don't think he's anywhere near the standard required for an international level 10 um, to do that. So I think he's got to start one of the games. Probably Italy. I'd love to see him get a bit more game time beyond that but I think that's something that they need to use so I, th- I think what we'll do is we'll, we'll start maybe with the Six Nations overall title and just think we'll go through a prediction here do you think Ireland can win the Six Nations Jeff
2: uh, Tom I think Owen meant for you To go first on that question I'm not too oh, in, in, or... <laughs> in, 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 in case he's following us <laughs> No no um, Will Ireland win the Six Nations uh, Well can they Yes will they I don't know um, I think what I love about the Six Nations Is like you can have a team like Ireland Who have just come off the back of beating New Zealand And potentially could still finish third Um So will they win the Six Nations with England away and France away? I want them to because I want them to get into a winning habit. But it's I'm finding it very
0: difficult to see past France, to be honest with you. I'll go next on that. I don't think they're going to win the Six Nations. I think, um, as you said, I think they're away in Twickenham and Paris. I, I think they'll get three, maybe four wins if they're lucky. I have a fear that there may be some impact from COVID. We've seen it with sort of squads being slightly hit even now at the start of it, and that could impact games. I just think it's maybe a step too far this season for them. I I don't think there will be any Grand Slam at all, and I think it could come down even to points difference at the top. So I I don't think they're going to win the Six Nations. Tom? I think Ireland
1: should... Be looking to look, should, should be looking for a grand slam. Anything less than that should be classified for this group as a disappointment. Uh, I think France will win the grand slam though. Uh, and I think looking at where uh, and I think that they will win a Slam, um, bar them francing it up at some point, um, you know, away to Wales or whatever. But you look at um, the physicality that France have and that they can lever the, the quality of their squad. I know they've had a few COVID issues. But that's going to be such a difficult place to go for Ireland in the second round as well. Um, I look at that first game coming up against Wales, and it's got banana skin written all over it. You know, you look at where Wales are at at the moment; a lot of their top guys being out. They don't tend to to you know to to brick it against Ireland like they just haven't recently. Um, I, I think, think looking- I think on that time as well, like Wales in the Six Nations, like.
2: How they're getting on in, in domestic competitions or European competitions holds absolutely
1: no bearing either, not at all. And again, like you look at a guy like like Adam Beard, for example, like that's a quality player. Like they're missing Adam and Jones, but like they've got quality players all through that side. Um, that's that like, that game is 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 a worry because if if they can stand up to, to Ireland in the in the in the collisions, you are going fast and loose with that word. I did it again. Um, then we'll have to really look at what, like, I mean, we haven't seen what Ireland are like in the in those conditions as of late. Um, so that's something I think is a concern. Um, but I think I think France will be the real the real danger. And I think they are the ascendant team in Europe at the moment. Um, and I think England as well have had a, you know, they the, the, they're maybe not the same team they were when they were getting to World Cup semi-finals. Um, but They've got size and quality as well and world-class players, even though they have a few injuries as well. that will be another difficult game. Um, this is the typically a, a kind of a very difficult configuration for Ireland and the Six Nations when we were away to England and France. Now I know we won that in 2018. We won the slam with that configuration, but I think France weren't the France they are now then. And uh, I think England are better than they were then as well. How good are Ireland is the question. Uh, and I think that's the active question coming in here now for me, Great November, really, really good. Don't get me wrong. But my fear is, is that the, the, the physical challenge of this year's Six Nations, the scrummaging challenge, and how much video will have been done on Ireland in the interim. You know, that's the big worry for me coming into this game, uh, coming into this tournament, and just hope because I, this Ireland side is good enough to win a slam. But that's the thing. I don't think they will. And if they start losing, it, it, it one or two games, and all of a sudden, that's a very average Six Nations for a side with the expectations that Ireland have.
0: And very quickly, Tom, for the weekend, Ireland or Wales? I'm
1: going to go to Ireland. Um, I, I I think looking at the quality of the of the the squad we have available. Um, again, though, like I keep looking at it, and I'm thinking Ireland should win that game, and it should be comfortable. I'm kind of thinking, but then I'm thinking that's Wales. Like you know, like Wales, like as in, have have had up and down years in in the Six Nations, but they always tend to show up against Ireland. Like and it, it, like, you look at them last year, where the people were kind of look at them like they weren't really giving them much of a chance last year either. They want to, they want to, they want a Six Nations last year. Like so, I'm looking at, um, I'm looking at Wales here, and I'm thinking that these guys are dangerous. Like these guys are waiting to catch Ireland, and if you look at you know, what they'll be looking to target in Ireland, like whatever with anything else, they're a clever side with a clever backroom team. So we'll see what, what they've identified uh, with Ireland. We'll be looking to go out there and take the game to them, obviously. Uh, I think Ireland will win. I think that uh, our front five should do the job for us. You look at the, the quality the other guys selected as well. Like, you know, I can't see Caelan Doris not being selected unless he's injured. Uh, I, I think that the quality should be there, but I have a feeling it could be a very tight, messy game
0: yeah i'm i'm going to go with the same same as yourself i think home home advantage even in the six nations is is a big thing i think ireland should have just about enough but i do think it's going to be an awful lot closer than some of the pundits and commentators are talking about certainly at the moment and jeff i'll give the final word to you ireland or wales tight game ireland win Perfect. We'll round it up there, folks. Thank you very much for listening to our ramblings and for for supporting the podcast. Please do rate and review the podcast on whatever platform you listen as it, it really helps. Also, be sure to share the podcast on social media and give us feedback on what you'd like to hear more or less of as we spoke about earlier on in the podcast, remember there's a big competition coming next week for signed provincial jerseys from our very good friends at the URC who we thank. And remember URC equals the best league. So hope you have a good week. Your provincial team wins and the three of us will be back next week to chat again.